Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I am Joel, one of the pastors, and wanted to take the opportunity to first tell you a quick story um, to go along with what Pastor Scott was just saying about offering and what some of that stuff is going toward. This last Tuesday evening, we had an elder meeting, and um, Steve Harper, our community impact pastor, was able to come and present to us a need of, uh, of an individual, a family that is in Greece. Uh, this last year, he told us that over half a million refugees have gone into Greece. Um, they are, they're put into refugee camps until they're vetted, and then they are possibly sent out. But what he is doing is he's going into all the refugee camps, and he's ministering to them, and he's sharing to them about Jesus Christ. And he said the majority of people he's meeting right now actually have never even met a Christian before. And so he's doing everything he can to meet these individuals, to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so then he has, and this is what he does for a living, and he's just is constantly pouring into them. So once they leave that refugee camp, they'll know Christ, and they'll take Christ with him. And he's given his energy to doing that. And so we're able to support him in a pretty significant way just this week so that he can keep making sure that these half of a million people come to know to us an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's the kind of stuff that you guys are doing. And there is story after story after story uh, that we're able to meet needs like that uh, throughout the world to make sure that they can keep doing what they do. So I want to say thank you uh, for what that is, for, for what that means for the kingdom of God and how it impacts people. I certainly appreciate it. Um, we are in a gospel outpost series right now. So if you would open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know us, we like to jump into the scriptures really fast, really hard. 1 Timothy chapter 1, would you go there with us? And we're going to learn a good bit today. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. But I first, I want to make sure that you understand everything that's happening by telling you about these first 11 verses and even who Timothy is written by. Many people go, hey, well, it's 1 Timothy, it's written by Timothy. It's not. It's written to Timothy by Paul. It's written to Timothy by Paul. Now, know this. Paul wrote a solid half of the New Testament. Here he is. God used him in a mighty way. And this is an individual who traveled various missionary journeys. He traveled throughout that entire region starting churches. And a few of the partners that he had in order that really joined with him in ministering and serving in these churches. Silas would be one. Barnabas would be another. Also, Timothy would be one of these individuals. These are some of these guys who were bedrocks in terms of what it meant for Paul to be able to travel, to go and to start churches. They would sometimes be sent back in order to uh, strengthen a church and to encourage them or to set them right on some things. That's what's happening in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul started a church uh, in Ephesus, and the people then of that church, they once Paul left, they began having some false teachings, some false doctrine. You had some men teaching the wrong things. You had some women basically treating the church as a fashion show. All of these other things were happening that you hear about in this letter. And so Paul writes to Timothy. He sends him to go back to Ephesus to stay there and say, hey, you need to straighten some things out. You need to make sure that they're getting this right because right now they're stepping away from that which they already know. So here he is. He's commissioning Timothy to confront the leaders who are teaching against all that Jesus had said and even in what the Torah was saying, the law. So that was his role. Isn't that a great job? Go correct everybody's doctrine. So I want you to go do that. A bunch of people 
who just, I just spoke about the, into all the refugees coming into Greece. Well, these were also a bunch of people. Many of them, they certainly had not heard of a Christian, met a Christian before. Many of them maybe had not heard of Christ Jesus before. And now they've come together. They learn who he is. But very quickly, and this is what happens, they turned from the truth of what was being taught to them about Christ. They often made it about self and about some doctrinal issues that were not grounded in Scripture and what Jesus had taught. And so uh, Paul is sending Timothy to make sure that everything is set up and done correctly. So um, what you see, I want to walk through these first 11 verses because this is important for you to understand the significance of verse 12 through 17. Um, very, very fast. Here's Paul. There it is. Writing to Timothy, verse 2, grace, mercy, peace from God. He says, I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain where? At Ephesus. There it is. So he's remaining there in Ephesus in order to help correct and to teach and to remind them of truth. He's letting them know um, that he's going to stay there in Ephesus so that he may... Uh, charge him with certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. They've started to alter the doctrine. They've started to alter scripture. Maybe you, you would recognize this from some places today. They wanted to take scripture and make it say what they already believed rather than allowing scripture to conform what they currently believed. Right? Isn't that what we do as scripture? Often we go, how can we make it say what I already believe so I feel like I'm amazing rather than go, hey, what does God already say? And really what I need to be praying is that it's conforming and transforming my own life so that then I'm more like him. And we don't do that. Why? Primarily because of insecurities, pride, and arrogance. All right. So he's writing this. He's letting them know, go do this. Verse, uh, verse 5, he tells you the purpose very clearly in verse 5. The aim of this commission, the aim of this charge is that love is love that issues from a pure heart. That means it comes from a pure heart. That the people of the church would have a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And, a, and another word uh, would, that would be used there in some translations is a genuine faith. That you would have a genuine faith. And, and that's not happening. I need you to step into the picture, make some corrections. And he keeps talking about this. In fact, in, in, even in chapter 2, he says, this is where I want you to begin. We're not going to get to this today, but it's good for you to know this part. In chapter 2, he goes, I want you to begin with prayer. And I want you to pray primarily for two things. I want you to pray for the, the leaders of this, this nation. I want you to pray for the, the leaders. And then also I want you to pray for peace. Because peace sets a groundwork, a framework for Christ to be best known. So he's asking, man, I want you to go and pray. I want you to go do these things. Now, in chapter 1, though, he's still establishing some stuff. And he's letting them know some things that need to be done. So in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, I want to read through a portion of this. Because this is one of the, I think this is one of the times that we see a writing of Paul. Now, you need to know, we believe here at Chapel Point, this in its entirety, this is inspired and given by the word. This is the word of God. And he uses human hand and human heart to convey his word for us for generations. That's why over 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it, right? And we're still learning from it. We're still growing from it. And this is one of these times where I actually look at this and Paul is writing something that jumps into his heart in such an intense way. You see it bubble out. You see it bubble out. This is what he says. 
It says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. If you take the law and use it for, for manipulation or to get simply what you want rather than what God's will is, it's all messed up. But the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You need to know, this is what he's saying. Hey, listen, you need to be reminded of this. Jesus Christ came for everybody, even all these individuals. And it hits them. Because he says, in accordance with the gospel, the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And in verse 12, I think that as all of this is being poured out onto the page from God himself, I think it hits Paul in a way in which it reminds him that this is what's happened for me. You don't remember who Paul was. Paul is a guy in Acts chapter 9. We already know that he persecuted believers, but he came to encounter Christ on the road to Damascus in which he's blinded by a light. And he comes to know Jesus Christ. So we're going to be reminded as we read through this today of some of the significance of what it means to be a transformed follower of Jesus and to tell our story. Because you're going to hear Paul tell part of his story today. And the significance and the power of it. So... Let's jump into verse 12 through 17 as we learn some more. This is what it says on the screen behind me, hopefully right there in front of you as well. Um, Even if you're watching online, I would encourage you to get the Bible, open it up in front of you. It's going to help you out a lot, even as you underline certain things. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though previously, though formerly, I was a blasphemer. This is what I, he's saying, hey, this is what I used to be. So he wrote about all these things in 8, 9, 10, and 11, in those verses. And now it hits him. He goes, this is who I used to be. I was someone who needed help because I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly. In unbelief. Now he's going to talk about this mercy. He talks about this mercy again in verse 16. So in both 13 and 16, he speaks about mercy. Mercy is simply when you're given something that you do not deserve. That's what mercy is. When you're given given something that you simply do not deserve, he speaks about this mercy. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 will get you because it says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. Of whom I am the worst. I am the worst of them according to some translations. He says Christ came to save sinners. I'm the worst of them. But I received mercy. There's that mercy again. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example. Uh, Another way of saying that is an example is a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst of sinners. To those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, I know I, won't, I went through it quickly, but I want us to now go back, verse 12, and I want us to start speaking about what's happening here. Paul, who encountered Jesus Christ, is writing to Timothy to give him instruction about, hey, guess what? These people who came to know Jesus Christ in Ephesus, they've started to walk away from sound doctrine. They're making up stuff now. They're making it say what they want it to say. Some of the women are misbehaving and they're trying to act like everything's a fashion show. You're going to see that, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so he's trying to realign them and say, wait, we got to have some conversation here. And as he's reminding Timothy of what he should be communicating, I fully believe that it hit Paul. And we're about to see in verse 12 through 17, his chest split open, his heart exposed, because he was reminded of that which he had been saved from himself. Which is why in verse 15, he said the following, what? He says, guess what? Christ came to die for all sinners, of which I am the worst. So all of this is unfolding before him. He's been entrusted with the gospel. He's been strengthened by Jesus. And he knows that if they're doing their job well, that the faith of the people of the church is multiplying. Rude, but I'm going to go ahead and ask somebody in the back to bring me some water because I can tell it's going to get bad. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go short. Um, I just want you to... <coughs> I'm trying not to cough in the mic. All right. So this is what you need to recognize, um, is that they're going to open up this water for me. Thank you, Pastor Lou. Give him a hand, please. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. So here's what we end up learning, is that Paul knows that if the church is really doing their job, the people of Ephesus, that their faith is multiplying. That's one thing that we learn right away. That's why we say that transformation here at Chapel Point is a continual process. It's not a one-time event. And so what that really means is that faith multiplies. Will you please write that down? Faith multiplies. That's what it does in our life. When you come to a place of understanding who you were and what Christ has done for you, then that faith begins to grow. It takes hold. And it multiplies. And that's why transformation is that continual process. It's not simply when you're 11 years old and all of a sudden now you're the same that you were then because you gave your life to Christ when you were 11. Now you're 32 or 58 or 79 and you're the same person. No, you continually grow in your understanding. Faith is the multiply. It's no different than when I played baseball. When I played baseball as an 11-year-old, guess what? I was a better player than when I was 7. Makes sense, doesn't it? When I was 15, was I better than I was 11? Yeah, I was. When I was 17, I was better than when I was 15. When I was 20, not so much, but you get my point, right? As you continually do that, as you continually live with Christ, as you continually grow in Him, your faith is going to multiply. So he's writing this, knowing that faith multiplies, and Paul is instructing Timothy to correct the people, because they weren't multiplying their faith, the way they were conducting themselves was actually preventing others from knowing faith, from having faith. Because they began to take the purity, the beauty of the Word of God, and to corrupt it. When you alter the Word of God, that's what you do. You corrupt it. You're putting human opinion in the middle of God-sized instruction. 
the word of God, inspired by creator, when you put your opinion and you try to alter that that is of God, you are corrupting it because you're a sinner falling short of the glory of God. However, we know that all can be redeemed. Amen? God can redeem anyone, come on, at any time. We know this. So just be careful when you take your opinion and you make that try to shift what the Word of God says. You're corrupting the Word of God. You've taken something that's perfect and you've messed it up. Get out of it. That's up to God. So he's writing to them. And very quickly he says, man, I, I, I thank him. Verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, because he judged me faithful enough appointing me to his service, appointing me to ministers and other translation, appointing me to do his work, appointing me to have the strength to do his work, right? That's what he says. I'm so grateful knowing who I am that God has still chosen to find me faithful, to redeem me so that I can be used by him. If you claim to be a Christian, someone who knows Christ Jesus, the greatest joy and privilege you have in life is not being a mother, a father, a parent, a grandparent, anything else. The greatest joy you have in life is being a father or a disciple of Jesus Christ. No question. Paul can't believe that he gets to be one. And what we see right away is that Paul knew his need for Christ. Three things you've got to know today. Paul knew his need for Christ. He knew his need for Christ. It's one of my biggest concerns that I have for individuals today is how many people quite they, they don't quite understand their need of Jesus Christ because we've already got it all figured out. We don't have a need of Jesus Christ, but here's the beauty is that when you begin to read through 13, 14, he says, though formerly, previously, this is who I was. And I hope that you can identify who you used to be without Jesus. If you claim to know Christ, I hope that you can identify it well. If you can't identify it well, I have concern. Because if you don't know where you came from, it's hard to know where you now are and what Christ has done for you. So he says, I used to be the blasphemer. I used to be the persecutor. I used to be the insolent opponent, which would even instigate violence, right? That's what that is meaning. That's what that is saying. That's why it says um, in Acts chapter 22, verse 4, it speaks about who Paul used to be. You need to know, okay, so when, when the New church, Testament church started, the, they were actually called people of the way. In Acts chapter 22, verse 4, this is what it tells us about Paul. It says, and I persecuted the followers of the way, the people of the way, hounding some to death. This is, this is Paul knew who he used to be. Hounding some of them to death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Paul knew his previous sin that he had been saved from. And he's stepping into this and he's being reminded of it. And Paul knew, here's the, here's the most encouraging thing that you're going to hear today. Because you, you are a sinner, my friends. But guess what? Paul's past did not qualify him from being used in his future. Paul's past never disqualified him from being used in the future. Let me introduce you to people like Moses or David. Let me introduce you to people like Paul or even Peter who denied Christ three times before his death. And yet God was never finished with them. He still stepped into the picture and he says, I want to do amazing things with you. Do you understand that God desires to do more in your life than you've ever known before? 
Even a better question maybe for you is do you know your need of a Savior? Do you know your need of a Savior? Or do you think you're pretty good the way it is, but if I have a little extra little Jesus in my life just to make sure in the case of the heaven thing's real, then I'm good to go. Do you know your need of a Savior? Do you know your need of a Savior? Do you recognize your brokenness? Paul recognized his brokenness. He knew his need for Christ. He recognized he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, that he had done evil things, that he was a sinner. He recognized all of the hard things he had done in life, and yet he also recognized this, that even he could be saved by Jesus Christ. He knew his need of a Savior. Do you know your need of a Savior? No longer rhetorical. Do you know your need of a Savior? Two of you. Two of you recognize that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior and that God has redeemed you for eternity. Just two of you. Do you know your need of a Savior? You got to get this. One of the reasons we don't use our story, and I will tell you now, one of the greatest ways you can tell people about Jesus Christ is by simply telling them how, what Jesus Christ has done for you. And we don't tell our story because we actually don't acknowledge what Christ has had to do for us because we think we're pretty good off without him. You're not. You're not. You know how many people I've talked to that said, man, this is what my parents did and I never once heard I'm sorry. Really? Because we think we're pretty good the way we are. You're not. But guess what? God has redeemed you. If you profess faith in him, God wants to use you for more abundantly way, more abundant ways than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Ephesians 3, God wants to step into your life. And he wants you to be a mouthpiece, a living example, a witness of what it is throughout the world to know Jesus Christ. Are you willing to go there with me? Yes? How many of you? Eight, nine, all of you? Because if that happens, three venues and 12 services won't even begin to hold it. Paul knew his need of a Savior. That's why he's calling this out. I was the worst of them. So part of my conversation with my kids is, man, guys, I've made some mistakes in my life. But let me tell you about something. But let me tell you what God has done is that I've surrendered those things and God has redeemed me. And God can use me in a mighty way because God is so full of what? 13 and verse 16? Mercy. This should be crazy encouraging to you. One, that you can share your problems. One, that you can know your sin. But God can redeem you from it. Woo, that's it. And that's a, it's freeing. And some of you are still thinking, no, you don't know how bad I've been. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. Brother, there is no reason why if you have gone very far in sin, you should not go equally far in usefulness. He received mercy. The grace of the Lord was on him, was exceedingly abundant. So he knew his need for Christ. Secondly, Paul had an encounter with Christ. So isn't this the way it works? You ever heard the teacher learns more than the student? 
Here's Paul writing to Timothy, work with the people of Ephesus, and I think he's being reminded through the words that are being given to him of his, what has been done for him. And in this moment, he's having an encounter with Christ, and he's telling them about his own personal experience and all that he's been saved from. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He is the worst of them. And he's wanting them to know all that has happened to them. Now this is also, I, I think, pay attention. Because here, I think Paul could have said, hey, this is how corrupt and how awful everybody else is. But God loves them. And then he could have kept going. No, what he did is he identified personally with those things. I, think about it like this. So here's some people who would go, oh yeah, all of those people. You ever refer to anybody as those people? Well, yeah, but those people. And you talk about those people because those are the people who made mistakes, but you'll never classify yourself as one of them. You don't want to do that because if you classify yourself as one of them, then you don't feel as good about yourself. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you've made mistakes in life. And so instead of doing he could have done that, but he doesn't. He goes, man, I'm one of them. Right? He doesn't only speak about the problems of others. Well, yeah, but did you see what they did? He says, man, I've done it too. I've done it too. I've, I've made those mistakes in life. When, when only speaking of the sin of others, but rarely recognize the sin of self, you are in a spiritually dangerous place. You're in a spiritually dangerous place. And Paul identifies it. He's like, no, it's me too. I'm the worst of them. And so he has this encounter with Christ. And he knew that God had done something remarkable in his life. And as a result of all this, things started to shift in his life. And he knew his need for Christ. But now he also he starts to speak about the encounter with Christ that he had. And it was powerful to be able to think about. It was powerful to think about his need for Christ, the encounter with Christ that he had, and all that God was really wanting to do. And as a result of that, guess what? Paul was then transformed by Christ. Paul knew that he had been saved by Christ. And this is why you can now believe. This is why you, you must recognize your need for a Savior. You have to recognize your need for a Savior. Paul, was, when he was Saul, when he first came to know Christ, he virtually knew nothing of who God really was, right? He was, he was someone who certainly wanted to keep the Jewish law and be able to make sure things were done a, a certain way. But he was going around persecuting all the Christians. It tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, when all of a sudden he's on the way to Damascus to do what? Persecute Christians. Light hits him. Here are the first words that he heard from God in that moment. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What words are you hearing from God right now? Put your name in the blank, right? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Are you persecuting Christ? Or if you claim to know Christ, let's go even further. Is it, hey, put your name in, whatever it is. Why aren't you telling others about me? Hey, friend, put your name in. Why are you staying silent about all that I've done for you? 
Hey, friend, if you really believe that you're a sinner and you're the worst of them, and yet I've done all of this for you, why are you staying away from those and not telling them about Jesus Christ that can bring salvation? Hey, friend, if you claim that I mean so much to you, why are you embarrassed to wear a shirt that says that I love you? Hey, friend, why are you persecuting me? Hey, friend, do you not recognize that you're the worst of sinners? But guess what? I love you and I've saved you. Hey, friend, why is it that you don't have the courage to even grab your spouse's hand and say, I don't know if you'll feel comfortable or not, but I need to pray over you that God would empower you, that God would anoint you, that God would show you his favor, that God would use you in a radical way, and that you would have courage based on who he has made you to be, not based on what the world has told you you should be. Hey, friend, why aren't you standing up and actually living the life? Why don't you keep reverting to that which you know will lead to destruction rather than walking in that which leads to eternal life? And so all of a sudden, here comes God in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what his response is? Is, is, is that you, Lord? Question mark. It's literally a question mark. Every translation, question mark. It's a question And so what we can do is we can hear this from God speaking into our life about this transformation that we can live in, that we can tell to other people to share our stories of transformation. But you can either go, is that you, Lord, and ignore it, or you can go, is that you, Lord? And you can actually absorb it and go, oh, my goodness, God is speaking to me. Right, when I love this in First Timothy, what you learn so clearly, First Timothy chapter one, when you start reading through this passage, he says this in verse 15, he says, "The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance." So I'm about to tell you something that is fully trustworthy, and don't forget this part, it deserves full acceptance. Do you accept what I'm about to read? Not, I'm asking you. You're going to have to consider, do you accept what I'm about to read? And he says this, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Do you accept that? Yes or no? Yes or no? But don't forget the next part. Don't you love it when I do this? (laughs) This is good. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Do you buy into that? Mm, not as loud, is it? Because sometimes we don't recognize our need for a Savior. I don't care who you are, good works will not get you to heaven. The power of Jesus Christ conquering death, kicking it in the teeth is what gets you to heaven. Acknowledging, professing faith in Jesus Christ, that's what gets you to heaven. We need people to tell their story of transformation. And let me tell you now, if you truly know Christ, you can't keep your pie hole shut talking about what he's done for you. You couldn't silence Paul because Paul had been transformed. You're getting this, right? It's just scripture. Not making it up. It's right here. So then if you go, yeah, but I want to ignore that. Then you have a more important question. Are you choosing to say that this is not the word of God? Then we're going to start at a totally different place. If this is not the word of God, you're actually not a believer. 
Let's go there. You're so glad this is not the third service because I would just keep going. We would not be making it to the Super Bowl tonight. But here's a question for you. During the Super Bowl tonight, you guys just keep playing. It's all good. All right. This is what, here's a challenge for you. Watch the game. It's great. Watch people give each other concussions. This is cool. Super Bowl halftime, you know it's going to be filth. So turn it off and ask each other, do you know your need of a Savior? Do you know your need of a Savior? Do you know that without Christ you are absolutely nothing and that your neighbors are going to go to hell if they don't know Christ? Are you more concerned about what they think about you rather than that what God has already done for you? We are transformed followers of Jesus. If you don't like what my sweatshirt says, I will pray for you. But I ain't taking it off. He is my God. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. And he will not be moved for eternity. That's why in verse 17, he calls out. All of a sudden, it almost doesn't even fit. He just calls it out. Last verse I want to hit with us. He says the following. He says, guess what? To the king of the ages, the immortal, the invisible, the only true God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He is the only God. And he calls it out. It's like all of a sudden you can't contain the worship that is within him. Hey, this is what I've, this is what I've done in the past. I was a sinner. I was wretched. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. But this is what Christ did for me. And now he's writing this letter and it just springs forth with worship. He is the immortal God. He is the perfect God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the only, quit putting plural on gods. It's singular every single time. There's only one God. And he says he is the one true God. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Nothing will ever alter that. And it just springs forth from his heart. It springs out of his chest. Do you know that you're in need of a savior? Do you know that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? And are you willing to go and tell other people about it? Put the shirt on. Because if we struggle to worship God, it's because we don't know enough of him and we don't understand all that he's done for us. He is worthy. Paul, in this moment, shared his story of transformation and let everybody know, wow, he is the king of kings. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. He is wor- Do you believe that God is worthy of worship? Do you believe that he is worthy of worship when you wake up and get in the shower, when you're eating food, when you're going to work, no matter what your colleagues say? Do you believe he is always worthy of worship, yes or no? Then will you worship him? Because worship is the way you speak, the way you act, and the way you live. Every moment of every day until you're in eternity with him when you will constantly be on your face, unworthy to look at the majesty of God Almighty. That is my God. It is time to wake up. It is time to wake up, church. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. We have the greatest message to be told ever. Jesus Christ loves you. Woo! Amen? Amen? Let's worship him. He is worthy of all worship. He is worthy of all worship.